Here we go. Law and Gospel on this Monday, November the 2nd in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like looking at readings for the following Sunday, which is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. Well, first question is, what happened to the 22nd and 21st Sunday after Pentecost? Well, they were replaced. The 21st Sunday instead was Reformation, and yesterday, the 22nd Sunday, was All Saints Day. So, having done those two, we're now back into the Pentecost season with the 23rd Sunday going to take place on November the 8th in the year of our Lord 2020. The Old Testament reading is from Amos chapter 5. The epistle is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the gospel is from Matthew 25. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because how it begins is what I like to think about every sermon I preach every Bible class I do. I think this is really important, what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. And see, that that's the goal of every sermon, to inform you. I often begin every sermon with a question and it is written in such a way that confuses the congregational members. Why do I do that? Because I want them to be answering from their old Adam. Like, for example, yesterday I asked, please put your hand up if you are sinless. And there were a couple who put their hands up. And then I put my hand up. Because we don't think of it from God's point of view. And that's the point I always want to make. When I ask a theological question, don't be thinking how you're thinking about it, because your old Adam will say, well, boy, I'm a terrible sinner. You even confess you're a poor, miserable sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But then the gospel says those sins have been taken away. They have been paid for you are no longer held accountable for them. And so it's as though you have no sin and you are righteous in God's sight. What counts is how God examines you. So every sermon wants to keep those in the church informed. Now, what's the particular subject matter that Paul is talking about in First? Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, we've said it a hundred times. Greek words, Hebrew words, just like in English, often have more than one meaning. As I said, the word law has about 12 different meanings, and you need to look at the context to figure out 
what it is talking about. Well, here Paul says that he wants to talk about those who are asleep. Well, why would you be grieving if a loved one is asleep in bed, not yet woken up for the morning? Well, he's not talking about that kind of sleep. In fact, he's talking about the sleep that occurs at our earthly death. So asleep in Jesus means a person has died. And he says, we want to talk about those of your friends, relatives, neighbors who are believers that are now asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. There's two things I like to do in every sermon. Number one, share with the congregation something they were unaware of. And a lot of times that occurs very simply because you're taking a look at the original Greek rather than the English. The English, boy, oftentimes is not very good in giving the right impression. Uh, For example, yesterday in the Bible study, Jesus talks about the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. That's in a chapter in Mark. And a lot of scholars think that there was only one feeding and one was 5,000, one was 4,000, and it was the same feeding. Well, that's wrong because the English, Jesus says, how many baskets were picked up of food left over from the feeding of the 5,000? and there were 12. And how many from the feeding of the 4,000? They were seven. It's not only that that shows very clearly Jesus realized that there were two feedings that were different, but the word basket is translated differently in the Greek than in the English. The feeding of the 5,000, the word for basket is the common word for a Jewish basket. Uh, For example, they're pretty big because Paul was escaping from enemies and his friends led him down the wall in a basket. So you can imagine there were quite a few loaves of bread left over with 12 baskets. And that was the Jewish basket. But when Jesus talks about the feeding of the 4,000, The word for basket is the Roman basket, which could hold over 50 loaves of bread, just one of them, and seven of them, wow, seven of them were left over from the feeding of the 4,000. So there, when you get the original Greek, you definitely get the understanding that there were two different feedings because there's different kinds of baskets that picked up the leftovers. Now, that wasn't important about the miracle. What was so important about those two miracles? What was Jesus' point to the disciples who really didn't understand? The point was that from God's understanding, the Jew and the Gentile equally receive a surplus of blessings from God. As Paul says elsewhere, there's no distinction between male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. All 
have available to them the forgiveness of sins that Jesus won. Now, you can understand that in Thessalonian, there is a real concern about those who have died. And so Paul wants to inform them for one purpose, and that's the second purpose of every sermon, is that it ends on a note of comfort, which also is hope in a promise of the gospel. So Paul's going to explain about those brothers and sisters in the faith who have died. And he's going to explain it so you don't grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, he's not saying that you're not going to grieve. It's just that our grief is different because our grief is a grief that they are no longer with us, but it is not a grief where we will no longer see them again. So he goes on in verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even through so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This really is a big point in 1 Corinthians 15. There's no resurrection of the dead, Paul says. Well, then, are we saying that Jesus did not rise from the dead? But if he rose from the dead, he gave a promise that those who trust in him will also rise from the dead. And, and notice verse 14, through Jesus, God will bring with him, namely with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. So it's talking about what the Father is going to do on the day of judgment. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is verse 15. So this is something that Jesus had talked about. Now, there's tons of things Jesus talked about that are not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, etc. For example, remember Mary and Martha? Well, you had that situation where Martha was busy uh, making a dinner and she got mad at Jesus and at Mary for not helping her. But then when Lazarus died, Jesus shows up and he says, Lazarus will rise. And he's referring to that day he's going to rise from the dead. But one of the women who meet with him, I believe it was Martha, says, well, we know that will occur on judgment day. So she had been listening to Jesus and there Jesus had told them about judgment day. So the apostle Paul heard a lot of what Jesus said to them that's not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, from Mary and the other apostles. So here is a word from the Lord, namely Jesus, that we who are alive. Now, what does he mean by that? He explains it. Scripture interprets scripture. Who are left until the coming of the Lord. That is to say, let's say that Jesus decides to come today at 3 p.m. 
Well, there are many who have fallen asleep and have been buried, but there will be many of us who are still alive at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about those of us who are alive, and it says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, the word precede means come before. What's Paul talking about? That those who are alive will not come before those who have fallen asleep. Well, that's explained in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. So everybody's going to know Judgment Day is here because of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel. And is that Michael? Is it Gabriel? In fact, it's clear from other passages that even when we die prior to Judgment Day, it is the angels who have been given the task of taking our spirit to heaven. So let's remember this, that at the point of your death, in the spirit, you are immediately in heaven, but your body goes into the ground buried. So now we're talking about here comes Jesus with the angels, with the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what it means it precedes those who are alive. That is to say, from the graves will open up the bodies. And it doesn't matter what has happened to the body. It may have been eaten by animals or may have been drowned in the sea. God will recreate that body because it's going to be a new body. That, that's clear from other passages where there's no pain, no sorrow, etc. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So we're talking here about a chronological order. The dead in Christ will be coming out of the graves first. Well, how long after it are those of us who are alive at that time going to be going to, with Jesus into heaven? Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, and that's the same Greek word that's used in verse 15, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. So what happens to us? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the Lord in the air. That's tremendous. So we've got a beautiful statement here that at the very same time, we will be brought up into the air with those who are coming from the graves. There's, there's not going to be a big distinction of time. It's not as though, well, those in the graves, they go up and then we're going to maybe be brought up a week later. 
No, it says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So did you hear that? They're going to be caught up together with them at the same time to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In other words, this is great comfort because how many times do we visit the gravesite of our loved ones? And by the way, uh, my son, of course, died in a motorcycle accident, uh, one of them. And when I go to the graveside, I don't talk to him because he can't hear me. There is a separation between the spirits in heaven. And so I talk to Jesus. And if Jesus wants to inform him of what I'm saying, that's fine. But even Abraham, it says in the Bible, is not aware of what is going on on earth. And that's really important to remember that when you go to the graveside, I know a lot of people like talking as though the persons that have been buried are hearing them. They are not. So we talk with Jesus and Jesus can make a decision as to whether what we say that he will be taking care of us. Verse 18, therefore, ends this section. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is the point of every sermon, to encourage people. And it doesn't matter what the subject is that you're speaking of. It doesn't really matter if you're talking about as Paul is here, those who are asleep. Or let's say you found out from the doctor you have a serious illness and you may not live. Or you hear of a friend that was in an accident and you're rushing to the hospital to visit with them. The whole point of the pastor being at the hospital is to encourage one another with the words of scripture. Now, remember, the word word has different meanings. In the beginning was the word. That's referring to Jesus Christ as creator. And then John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh. That's referring to his incarnation. But here, where we are to encourage one another with these words, this is talking about the words from the scripture, the promises of the Bible. And that's very, very important that we use scripture to get across to people what we want them to know. Really, really important here. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what every sermon is about because the key elements in the Bible are the distinctions between law and gospel. The law is not meant to encourage you, but to discourage you. 
from getting the idea, oh, I'm going to be able to say myself through works. You don't want to become like the unbelieving Pharisees, thinking that they're a lot better than others, and therefore under the impression that they are one in Christ already, even though they don't even believe in Christ, but think that they're going to heaven, thinking that they're not like a tax collector, and berating Jesus for being around sinners and eating with them. No. The law is to show that you fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, the sermon is to make you uncomfortable in your thought that I'm good enough to go to heaven. Now, from the gospel's point of view, you are good enough to go to heaven. But the goodness isn't because of your own works. It's because of the works of Jesus Christ, who you then exchange his works of righteousness. You exchange that with your sins. You give him your sins, and that's really what the parable of the lost sheep is all about. Uh, parables are not really talking about temporal matters. When Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep, he's not giving direction to shepherds as to how to find lost sheep. No, he's using that to talk about the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus came and found you. You were lost. And he picks you up on his shoulders and I believe that is referring to he takes upon his shoulders your sins and dies on the cross for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins that comes to you. And as we've said a number of times, but in case you haven't heard it, what is forgiveness? It's where God no longer holds you accountable for your sin. That's what All Saints Day was about yesterday, that all of our loved ones who died in faith, every one of them were sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But because of their faith in Jesus, the promises of the gospel came to them. And the promise of the gospel is that you are forgiven those sins. Plus, there's another gift that you receive, and that is the robe of Christ's righteousness. So with the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the robe of Christ's righteousness, God the Father regards you as sinless and holy right now. And that's why heaven will open up to you. A heaven that you don't deserve to go to, but because of Jesus Christ is yours, free and without cost. That's really the point of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to give comfort to those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones but a comfort that helps them 
through that sadness in order that they can encourage one another with these words. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, the hymn we're going to be looking at with Mark Smith is Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying. Because as we near the end of this Pentecost season, we get closer to the end of the church year and the beginning of Advent. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.